Welcome to episode number 61 of Just Go Grind, a show that focuses on helping you launch and grow a business and navigate the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. I'm Justin Gordon, your host, and in this episode, we have Sami Khan, who is the co-founder and CEO of Cerberus Interactive and a digital marketer specializing in consumer-facing startups. At Cerberus Interactive, Sami is helping build bold new games with a marketing-first design process, and their community helps them make their games amazing while they're still being built. The game they have out now is Atlas Empires, which is a location-based AR game hailed as the perfect mix between Pokemon Go and Clash of Clans. In the last 48 months, Sam has helped create and execute growth strategies for multiple businesses now worth over $3 billion, with a B, billion dollars. And he was the first marketing hire for the micro-investing app Eggcorns, which I'm sure many of you know about because it's so popular. And he loved the strategy that generated the company's first 2 million investment accounts. Yes, 2 million accounts. Sami also advised Honey, which is the money-saving browser extension where he executed paid growth strategies to scale the business past their first $1 million downloads and honey is continuing to crush it now his industry leading work has been featured in multiple case studies published by facebook twitter and Adweek. and in 2017 semi co-founded one of the fastest growing facebook and instagram consulting firms for startups he and his team helped over 40 companies with that company and he was born and raised in new orleans where he also attended tulane university sami is incredible so thankful for his time he has so much knowledge on marketing and strategy and so excited for you to check out this episode as always the show notes are justgogrind.com slash podcast support the show by leaving a rating and review would love if you can leave a rating and review for the show but very much so appreciate that and if you want to join the Facebook community, the Just Go Grind Facebook community, you can go to facebook.com slash groups slash Just Go Grind or search Just Go Grind and you'll find it there. Join other entrepreneurs and get some more behind the scenes of the podcast. Without further ado, here's Sami Khan, CEO and co-founder of Cerberus Interactive. Sammy, welcome to the show. Hey, Justin. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, happy to have you on and talk about a variety of things. But with your experience in marketing and growth, I think that'd be super valuable for people starting a business or trying to grow their business. And I'm curious from your just personal perspective, like what got you interested in marketing in the first place? Uh, I think that's a great question. And my answer is that I feel like I kind of stumbled on it. So to give you context, I went to Tulane University and I was in pre-med. So... <laughs> I did chemistry, biology, econ, psychology. And I can't really say that I, you know, went to school going, oh man, I can't wait to be a great growth marketer or anything (laughs) of that nature. But really, it's been a culmination of everything I've enjoyed. And I've always enjoyed tinkering with things. And really, to have a growth marketing mindset, you really need to be somebody who's willing to not really see the ending and more kind of play with the journey and look at the data as it comes and make that next iterative decision. And in hindsight, that's really been my college life (laughs) was just (laughs) iterating through what I want to try next. And uh, yeah, I mean, if you've got that mentality, it, it fits perfectly with being a marketer, especially a digital marketer. Oh, for sure. I mean, there's so much testing involved in that. I used to work at an e-commerce company and ran kind of the marketing growth side of things as well. And it's kind of the wild, wild west in some ways. It's just like, try things out, you know, test this, test that, test as much as you can. You're trying different things to see what's going to be the best. That was my draw to marketing. I love it. And you've worked at a lot of different places and 
you know, notably Honey, Eggcorn's another new company you have as well. I'm curious, like at Honey, that situation, like what were you looking at when you first got started with the company and kind of what was your, your role in helping them grow? Yeah. So I was, you know, head of growth over at Acorns while I came across Honey. And what's interesting is I was actually a user of Honey. And at the time, you know, when you use a product, you immediately assume the product that you're using is already pretty big because I don't think any of us think of ourselves as early adopters. But as it turned out, I was one of the early adopters of Honey. So when I reached out to the founders, George and Ryan, Turns out they were a lot younger as a company than I thought they were. While they were clearly already on their way to success and now, you know, uh, becoming a very successful company on its own, they weren't where I thought they would be in terms of they didn't have paid growth campaigns already running and a lot of those things. So, you know, I like to think that I was able to help accelerate them into the world of paid growth and allow them to scale at a faster end. I think more importantly, more predictable rate that allowed them to kind of go into their Series A. So, you know, my advising consisted of obviously starting up their paid growth channels like Facebook, but also working with their, uh, at the time, their designer on what their ads look like, what their messaging should look like on Facebook that will intrigue the user on the newsfeed to actually click and convert. Obviously, the product is a no brainer. For those of you who don't know, it's, uh, automatically, you know, apply a coupon at checkout, right? So who doesn't want to basically potentially save money on something they're already buying, but really getting that across to a user who's frankly ADD on Facebook, right? Uh, That was really the challenge that we were helping solve. And I think the rest is history. Honey now has 10 million users. So yeah, and we actually had George in one of our classes speaks to us. So that was kind of cool that, you know, have that experience and hear about it. And yeah, it's a, it's a browser extension that just gives you coupons and discounts. Like, right. And, and then George like, is an incredibly sharp founder, probably one of the smartest people I've ever met in my life and in my career. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised, you know, look, their aspirations and where they're going is a lot bigger than a couponing product. You know, that was kind of the Trojan horse to get them in. But Really, I wouldn't be surprised one day if Honey was in a position to, and this is not a joke, you know, take on the likes of Amazon. But yeah, there's a lot they're going to do with how they've set up their foundation to really take on the giants and really be the shopping assistant for the future, right? Being able to look for any product you want and immediately know where the cheapest one is across multiple storefronts. You know, it's like a price check for yourself on your phone, right? So really excited about what they're doing. Yeah, it's incredibly useful. And if anyone hasn't tried out, you should, because it's really easy. And you know, coming into that situation, I'm always curious as to, you have this advisor role with Honey and you're, you're helping them grow and market or whatnot. Like, What does that process look like from kind of the first thing you do when you come into this role? It's like, okay, what do you look at first? What are those, some of the things you're evaluating? I'm curious as to that. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think there's a time in your career as a marketer where you're just thinking about making extra money because you're good at marketing. And then you come across certain opportunities where you're like, man, this is going to be huge. I can help unlock this potential for them. And instead of taking money, I should take equity. And all of a sudden, instead of coming in as, hey, a side hustle, you're an advisor. And I think, you know, t- to your point, what do I look for? Well, 
you know, the first thing I look for is what I call a non-intent potential, right? So people don't wake up in the morning going, man, I really want to find a browser extension that helps me find a coupon. I mean, they don't know that exists, right? So that's what I call a non-intent product. Acorns was very similar, right? So things that when you hear about it, it's a no-brainer. Dollar Shave Club, Honey, Acorns, these are, to me, you know, you hear about what they can do for you and immediately you're like, man, I would use that, right? So that's what I look for is the I would use that mentality. Uh, And the second thing I look for is a total addressable market. So Honey basically applies for anyone that shops online, (laughs) which is basically every American. Yeah. And, and Acorns, you know, uh, automatically save and invest your spare change from everyday purchases. Well, man, everybody's buying stuff with plastic, right? So to be able to set aside money every time you use a credit or debit card, that also is basically everyone. And I use Dollar Shave Club, even though I'm not, uh, obviously an advisor or a marketer for them. Same category, right? Like, 50% of the population have beards and shave. And you could argue that 100% of the population does shave. <laughs> so to find a convenience and cost savings within something that 100% of the population does is a no-brainer. Or I will use another example that I was not involved in, potty squatty, right? Everybody <laughs> And so <laughs> you see where I'm going with this, right? So those yeah. are like the formulas I look for. And if you come across something like that, and you know that you can add value, if you're a great marketer and you know you can do good things for them, don't be afraid to say, hey, look, you know, I bring my experience, but don't pay me in cash. I want to be part of your journey. And that's really what allows you to ultimately be a bigger part of uh, a company. Yeah. And then with Honey, I mean, obviously there's with marketing, there's so many different routes you can go in terms of growth. What did you look for for Honey? Like initially, you mentioned some of that, that paid advertising and everything. Like, how do you evaluate that company? You know, the company sounds good in terms of, oh, it's a browser extension for shopping. This is an amazing opportunity. And then once you get started, how do you know which channels or which ones you're looking at? So ultimately, it's a mathematical balance between, you know, the click-through rates and the conversion rates, right? So look, Honey is a free product. So I could pretty much bet that one out of three or one out of four people that want to click on the ad will likely want to download it because there's literally no cost to them. And by the way, those are hypothetical numbers. I, I don't <laughs> yeah. know the exact. But what I'm saying here is, as a marketer, and I say this a lot, and I think going back to my original, me being in chemistry and econ and, and biology, I come from a very math-centric mindset. So as you know this, right? But basically evaluating, okay, this company can make X amount of dollars per user, as we know as LTV or lifetime value, and it applies to the majority of Americans. So the cost per click should be pretty cheap. And the conversion rate should be pretty high because it's no skin off their back to basically download this free product. And, you know, you could do the math on the back of a napkin to pretty much figure out if a company can be successful or not based on their initial like, hey, we make money off of the users. And uh, this applies to a broad stroke of users. And uh you know, you can pretty much tell if it's a good business or not. Yeah. And then I want to get into Eggcorns. Obviously, you mentioned that and you were there, you know, three and a half years, roughly. So coming into Eggcorns initially, what was your role and how did that kind of evolve over time? Yep. So I was supposed to be at Acorns for three weeks. And what? 
Yeah. So I was brought in by their CFO and co-founder to effectively train their growth team. And it turned out that their growth team was pretty young. And what we found out was that, you know, it took a lot more to teach than to do it uh, yourself and be involved on a daily basis. So three-week training program turned into a six-month being involved day-to-day. And then basically after six months, they were like, why don't you just stick around and you know be a part of this journey? And by then, by the way, the metrics were every month was better than the last. We were just the number one finance app in the country beating PayPal and Chase. Uh, and I got really caught up in the momentum and the you know the energy of the place. Uh, I love the founders Jeff and Walter. And at some point, you know, you you come across these type of rocket ships where you're like, you know, it'll be fun being a part of this. And you know, I joined Acorns when I was 25. It was really my first. Even though I would say that it wasn't my first hit personally, it was my first home run, right? And every marketer needs a home run. And after you establish yourself that you can are capable of hitting home runs, that's when opportunities like Honey and being an advisor come to the table, right? So Acorns was my great opportunity to prove my ability with a great product and a great founding team. And and that's really what what happened out of it. Yeah. And I want to go back real quick. So you mentioned initially you're going to be there, you know, just a matter of weeks only to kind of help them coach their team. What did that process initially look like or what are some of the first things you kind of you look for to help grow this company yeah so you know back then you have to understand 2014 was a very different time in digital marketing than even 2016 right not that many people were running facebook app install ads you know snapchat wasn't even a thing (laughs) so when i say a thing i mean in terms of advertiser right so we were really focused on google Right, Google search, which was kind of the big thing that was in the world of fintech. And I was really teaching the team how to build great Google search campaigns. And it was very, very tactical, very, very involved, very specific. And that was kind of the same time when Facebook was rolling out their app install campaigns at a larger scale for anything that wasn't gaming or dating. And we took a stab at it and it was just successful. I mean, it was almost like, I wouldn't say out the gate, you know, nothing is magic, but I would say that pretty close to the first 30 days, we knew that Google was no longer going to be the way to make Acorn successful and that it was going to be Facebook and Twitter. And it kind of took a life of its own. And because of that dynamic change of strategy, that's kind of what made me excited was, okay, this is an opportunity for me to learn and for me to grow. So, you know, I saw the opportunity and I took it. Yeah. And why do you think it was initially so successful? Why do you think it took off so fast? I mean, it goes back to the conversation we had earlier, total addressable market, how if you see something and you go, man, I would use that. That's really what Acorns... At the end of the day, Acorns is a great idea, is a great idea. You know, to automatically save and invest from every cup of coffee you buy or every grocery run or every gas fill up and to be able to put that money aside into a portfolio of ETFs that historically can make 7% year over year when at best savings accounts were giving you half a percent. And the vast majority of Americans, 
you know, the founder always said this, most Americans bought a car. Some even bought houses and had a mortgage, right? So think about this. Most Americans had a car note, had student debt, had a mortgage before they opened their first investment account. And it is proven that the earlier you open your investment account, the better it is for compounding interest. And so it feels good to be part of something where it's like, man, you could really help bring and, you know, it wasn't just something that was felt good for the founders. It really felt good. You know, I always joked, we weren't causing childhood obesity or anything negative. We were literally helping people get into the world of investing earlier. And if we can help 18, 19, 20, 21 year olds start investing eight years earlier than they normally would, that was just so exciting. So again, I think people resonated with that, right? That man, it's almost no, you know, obviously investing involves risk, but it was almost a no brainer to get involved. Everyone knows you should invest. But until Acorns came about, active investing, which is picking your own stocks, was the name of the game. And passive investing, which was the ability to invest in a professionally vetted portfolio uh, with ease, was something that was only available to very wealthy people. So to do that and to tie it in with such a daily behavior, I think people just got it. And it was just my job and my team's job to get that point across. And it wasn't really a hard sell. Uh, People really get it, right? So it was a great idea. And we figured out the right channels to get that message across. Yeah. I mean, I would say it's a home run idea. Just, you know, thinking about now, especially retro, you know, in retrospect, but I want to know more about the audience in terms of how you pick the target audience, the right targeting strategies when you're doing ads or different campaigns. How do you approach that process? Yeah. And this, I'm glad you talked about this because this is the biggest mistake I think marketers make this day and age is marketers want to have a preconceived notion of where their audience, who their audience is. And let me explain. Back in the day, you had banner ads, right? So naturally, if I'm trying to sell a Rolex watch, I'm going to presume, hey, I need to buy banners on a mega mansion or Ferrari blogs, right? Because I'm selling an expensive product. So I need to find where these rich people hang out. But the world of Facebook, 89% of all online Americans log into a Facebook product once a month. So the question no longer is, how do I find my audience? Or where do I find them on the internet? The question is, how do I position my product so it speaks to the right audience on Facebook? Because basically, 200 million Americans are logging into Facebook. And a lot of marketers don't understand that Facebook has a really smart algorithm. So you're not just plastering your ads all over Facebook. Facebook is actively finding more and more quality people that click on your ad based on the last people that clicked on your ad, right? So it's our job as marketers to, one, fully embrace and understand the Facebook algorithm, and then two, build the right ads and the right landing pages and the right messaging that allow Facebook to leverage its AI to work on your behalf. And I actually have, not to put a shameless plug, but I own a marketing company that we're actually working on putting together a course that teaches all the new marketers out there and frankly, the existing marketers out there, how to understand the Facebook algorithm, how to take advantage of it. Because what you just touched on, which is me, if I'm trying to decide who my audience is, 
then that's assuming that I'm smarter than Facebook. And the fact is I'm not. The Facebook <laughs> algorithm is looking at so many things in real time. It would be a fool's errand to try to assume to tell Facebook who to target, right? It's like having, I can't even explain it to you, the best engineer in the world and then telling them to make a product a certain way. It's like, no, you should really let, there are tens of thousands of smart people at Facebook that have figured out how to engineer their ads to be relevant, both for the advertiser and for the people getting served the ads. And it's our job to basically let Facebook not have an uphill battle when we create our ads or use our targeting. Yeah. And by the way, Sammy, feel free to plug. Where do you find the course and what's the company? Yeah. So we're actually going through a rebrand. I imagine you'll probably ask about this next since we're going through (laughs) my career. Might Um, as well. But uh, the company is called Staircase Digital. And so in the next 60 days or so, we will have basically a very extensive digital marketing course available, which will allow, you know, what my hope is, is it's not just new marketers, it's existing marketers that currently work at startups. It's founders, young founders that just can't afford people like me, (laughs) right? And so they just need to figure out how to get it going on their own for their next round of funding. That's the goal here, right? Is the internet, it's easy to find things if you know what to look for. But if you don't know what to look for, it's incredibly hard to find these pieces of information. And, And what I'd like to do as somebody who's been pretty fortunate you know, in the last 48 months, helping over three and a half billion dollars worth of startups grow is how do we take this information and make it more ubiquitous so that we can help more startups like those of Acorns get to the right people? Because there's a ton of startups out there trying to do good things. And unfortunately, a lot of them die because they never reach the right audience. Yeah. And I think it's a super important thing, especially in terms of online education courses, whatever it may be. I've, I've gone through a fair amount myself to learn different things. And I think they're incredibly useful. So when that actually is live, be sure to tell me. <laughs> I'll make sure yeah, to course, actually link it out and everything with that. And, and to dig a little bit deeper into the marketing side, I'm super curious, especially with your experience. How are you allocating or choosing to allocate you know, percentage budget or whatever it may be to different channels, two different methods of marketing, getting the word out about a company? Yeah, so I always start with a small budget, fairly small budget of let's call it a hundred to three hundred dollars a day, and then um, look. The first thing you need to do is have your attribution set up so you can measure down to the goal that you're looking for, right? So, I own a gaming company right now, and one of the big things is not just installs, but people finishing our tutorial of our game, right? And so, it's first, it's first and foremost, it's important that you can measure by channel you know, all the way down funnel to what's important to your business. And then by keeping these small budgets, you'll find out pretty quickly which channels are getting the best cost down funnel. And then I follow what's called a 70-20-10 rule, which is effectively spending 70% of my budget where it's working best, 20% where it's working second best, and I think there's opportunity, and 10% on Hail Marys because you never know when a Hail Mary will be the next best thing. Yeah. It's a good way to approach it because you have to have a mix of things, right? You can't all just be one necessarily. And going a little bit deeper into different strategies then, how often are you adjusting, like rebalancing that or changing things up or checking your tests and changing? I'm just curious on that side of things too. I mean, look, I look at my ad accounts multiple times a day, but I think what's important to understand is it's not about time, it's about data points. So people always ask me, how often... 
you know, how long do you wait before making a conclusion? Well, that depends on if you're getting 10 data points a day or 10 data points a minute. We're, I don't want to say we're scientists in the sense of lab coats, but we're looking for, look, if you're looking for conversion rates, you know, 200 data points is a plenty of data points to decide if a landing page is better or worse. <laughs> so it depends on the industry. Games, uh, you get a lot more data points than if you're selling mortgages, right? So it's a mixture of how much you're spending per day and what cost per data point you have. Like a mortgage lead is very expensive and a game download is relatively cheaper. So you can understand how that differs by industry. But it comes down to, I generally like to make decisions on every 100 data points and then go from there. Awesome. And then one of the campaigns that was specifically mentioned, Grow Your Oak campaign. What was your involvement with that? I heard it was very successful. How did that come about? Yeah. So are we talking about the song? Uh, yeah. Was it like a 30-second, one-minute video or something as well? Yeah. So I'm really excited that I'm even able to give this plug. One of my best friends, his name is Adrian McKinnon. He's actually a pretty, very successful songwriter, currently writes for a lot of famous Korean boy bands, believe it or not. And yeah, his songs have garnered hundreds of millions of views on YouTube. So he's a songwriter behind it. And he's one of my best friends. I went to him, Noah Kerner, the CEO of Acorns, very open-minded CEO, right? With a marketing background. So Noah and I said, you know, actually Noah made this comment. He said, we don't make jingles, we make hits. And so we decided that we were going to make the first hit song of a finance app. And, you know, it's always helpful when one of your best friends is a hit songwriter. So, hey, you might have connections, right? <laughs> yeah. So we went to Adrian and <laughs> we gave him almost no direction other than, hey, you know, it's all about the long term. It's all about roundups. It's, you know, how can we throw the acorns brand line in there, which is, you know, from little acorns, mighty oaks do grow, right? So he <laughs> wrote a hit. I mean, I don't know how else to say it. I can't take credit. The guy's a genius. That is awesome. Yeah. It's so Tapping into your network and having those connections can be super valuable depending on where you are. And if you happen to know a you know hit songwriter, that's very useful as well, apparently. Uh, we yeah. may not all have access to that, but props to you for having that connection. And then as I'm just curious with Eggcorns too, like I, as it took off and as it grew, because you're there a few years, like how did that change how you did your job? Was it different? Was it a lot different or not? I'm curious as to that. Very different. And I think this is the biggest thing I've learned about leadership. And it's honestly the hardest thing. And I will say not everyone is going to be prepared for <laughs> what I'm about to say, which is yeah. the best part about or the strongest sign about being a leader is knowing when to give up your Legos. Right. And I think, look, I've met a lot of CMOs that are just way too micromanaging, breathing over your shoulders. And that really stifles the next generation of marketer who's like hustling to like, you know, do good for you. And as a growth marketer, you always want to be in the accounts, tinkering around and things like that, right? And I think the biggest lesson I learned is not so much at Acorns, but at the growth marketing firm, Staircase Digital, formerly known as the Sami and Mike Co., right? But uh, it was learning when to like step back and let people figure out and conclude their own tests <laughs> and really like 
knowing when it's a good time to coach people on parameters and when it's okay to let them learn from their tests on their own, right? So this is the biggest thing. As an organization grows, I was a one-man band for two years. And I think that I don't know exactly, but I would imagine the Acorns growth team today is probably five or six people. And again, I don't know how they're structured today, but I've learned after leaving Acorns, the best way to structure a growth team is to give people their individual skill sets and let them do their thing. And even if you feel like as a leader, you can do any one of their jobs better than they can, it's a function of scale and being able to, at the end of the day, you can't do everybody's job, especially if there's five people who can do each individual component and dedicate time to it, they're likely going to be better than you. Even if you feel like you could be better at that one individual component, you know, it's about learning again, when to let go of your Legos and let people build on a foundation you've set. Yeah. And then, you know, obviously going from Eggcorns then to Staircase Digital, which is, you said, Sammy and Mike. Yeah, we literally just rebranded last week. So <laughs> why the rebrand? Just curious. Well, you know, look, when we first built the Sami and Mike company, Mike was head of operations over at Honey. He left Honey to uh, join or rather build this company with me, the consulting firm. And early days, the clients that we landed were coming to us because they knew myself or they knew Mike. And so we really heavily leveraged our personal brands to get our first 10, 15 clients. But then at some point, the company and the team built their own case studies and built their own success stories. So we felt like now it's, you know, we've built over 40 different companies and now the company itself can stand on its own legs, right? And it's no longer about Mike and myself. I don't want my name plastered on a wall. I'd rather the team, again, letting go of <laughs> the Legos a little bit, letting the team take credit for what the team has done. And that's the only way this consulting firm is going to evolve beyond Mike and myself is to let the team's success stand on their own name. So that's the rebrand. And that's why the rebrand. Yeah. And why the company in the first place then? I'm curious as to why. You know, I didn't actually want to do it. Mike was, and I don't say that in a bad way. What I mean to say is I didn't see the opportunity the same way my partner Mike did, right? Mike was coming from Honey and he's like, look, Acorns is going to be a billion dollar company. Honey's going to be a billion dollar company. Sami, you figured something out and I've seen it firsthand. Why can't we do this for other startups? And I said, you know, Mike, I have like six different people hitting me up to help them out. And I just don't have the time. And Mike said, the fact that you have people hitting you up and you can't is the perfect sign that we need to make this into a company. And I said, look, if you feel like you can build a team and scale it, I'm willing to lend my time to help you do that. But this was at the same time I was starting Cerberus Interactive and that is like my number one baby. And so, you know, this was two years ago and the company's done really well. We've helped a lot of different startups and Mike has done a good job building a team. You know, now Staircase Digital is a team of 20 and it's doing really well. And, you know, kudos to my partner for being able to put that team together and uh, build our own success stories on that. But yeah, uh, that's kind of the genesis. <laughs> That's crazy. An opportunity you don't necessarily see, but then once you see it, it's like, okay, well, yeah, if you can make this easy for me in some capacity and grow this thing, then yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Then you said you mentioned your baby, so Cerberus Interactive. Like, how did that get started? 
I've been a gaming nerd literally all my life in high school. Instead of going out on Friday nights, I would play video games. It's just been at the core of what I've enjoyed. And the biggest thing in the gaming industry right now, the biggest challenge is acquiring users. A lot, you know, 550 new games hit the App Store every day, and the majority never see their first 10,000 users. That's why you're left, if you look at the top ranking on the App Store, the majority of them are games that have been out for already three to five years. It's incredibly hard to get new games to be successful, and it comes down to the cost of user acquisition. Well, over the last four years, that's what I built. I built this ability to acquire users, and I thought to myself, it's now or never. I love gaming. I've always loved gaming. The biggest hurdle in gaming is acquiring users. I understand product. I know a bunch of folks that can build great games. Let's do this. <laughs> so yeah. I just felt like, you know, I would regret it if I didn't do it. And I felt just the timing was right for me personally and uh, for the industry. Yeah. And knowing that though, what are the first steps you even take? You have this idea, you know, you can acquire users because you have the experience, you have the know-how, the, the talent to do it. But then what are the first steps you actually take into making this a real company? Yeah. So the first thing is to be a great gaming company, you need at least one great game. <laughs> so <laughs> if you don't have a single game, you're not anything. And so we coined this new phrase, and you're going to be hearing a lot about this over the next five years. And I guess you heard it here first, right? Which is we are uh, coining ourselves as a marketing first development company, game development company. And what that means is you know, the game industry now, what they'll do is they'll get together in a boardroom and they'll come up with a game idea. They'll go to a uh, focus group. They'll see if the focus group responds positively. They'll build it and then they'll go to a test market and then they'll see if they can acquire users at a decently cheap rate that makes sense for the money they can make from the game, right? And why this is so backwards is that ultimately the game might live or die specifically because of how much it might cost to acquire users for that game concept. And what Service Interactive is doing that's so different, we are marketing first. So we'll build a trailer in a matter of 30 days. We'll test a concept first. We'll see how quickly people are willing to uh, sign up for the game, but also pay money to be part of what we call an alpha group. And if we don't actually break even on the concept or be profitable on the concept, then it's likely not a concept worth even developing. So where other studios are spending millions of dollars developing this concept, we might kill titles 30 grand in, and our competitors are spending two, $3 million trying to prove the same point. And that puts us at a great financial advantage. And look, these other game studios, they're making 30, 50, 60 million dollars a month. So $3 million on a concept that didn't work out, not a big deal. But what is a big deal is you, not only did you invest $3 million, you've invested nine months. And that's where we feel like, look, we can kill titles in 30 days, and our competitors are taking nine months to decide if a title is valuable or not. And again, you heard it here, but this is what's going to make us the next billion-dollar gaming brand is, look, if the gamer is going to be the ones that end up deciding if a game is successful or not, let's not be prideful. Let's take it straight to them and see how they respond. If they respond positively, let's build it. And I'll say this, not just for the gaming industry, but for the movie industry. How many times have you seen a crappy movie trailer and you went, 
Nobody's going to watch that. Yet the movie's <laughs> yep. already spent $80, $90 million making the movie. So they could have just built the trailer and known within some sort of parameter, hey, look, this trailer is getting really bad. Like nobody's even watching the trailer all the way through. <laughs> right. We probably shouldn't have spent $90 bucks hiring Nicolas Cage to build this movie. Right. Oh, <laughs> but alas, I mean, I think the entertainment industry as a whole is, is in for a shakeup. But the what's happening is the hits make so much money that the studios don't care about the 95% not hits that they lose out on because the one hit they make will make a billion dollars at the box office and make up for the 19 other misses that they didn't make money on. Yeah. And that's what they've been doing for years and years and years. So it's not like it's just going to change. And so when you come in with a fresh idea and you're starting from scratch, it's like, how should we do this? It's kind of a similar thing with even looking at the auto industry, like Elon Musk and Tesla and coming up with a different concept. It's like, because he's starting from the ground floor from scratch, what should a car be? What should his electric car be? You know, that that's the whole difference, right? I could talk to you about hours about Elon Musk. Love the guy. I mean, look, the whole robo taxi fleet, I'm sure you've caught up on that. I mean, Audi could have done this. Mercedes could have done this. But now Tesla is in a position to not only take on Audi and Mercedes, but take on Lyft and Uber at the same time. I mean, it's just thinking from a very fresh perspective on how to take advantage of the tools that are given to us instead of having this legacy mindset, which is, well, this is what we've always done. So let's keep doing it because it's working. Right. And also rely on your skill sets and your strength and experience. Because obviously you have such a strong marketing background that for you, it's almost a no-brainer of like, yeah, we're going to test this. I'm constantly wondering why people don't do it this way. And I've (laughs) I've met with investors who basically say, look, this is obvious. And I'm like, I know. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Right? Like that's... Look, there have been a lot of obvious things that have happened that have ended up being disruptors. So. Clearly, obvious is not the hurdle for a lot of these companies. That's very true. And, and you mentioned, you know, we when you talk about your company. So, who is involved with the company now? Who's on the team? Yeah, so Servers Interactive is mostly dev heavy. My uh, CTO and co-founder, his name is Bo Button. He's an enterprise software engineer. We've built a whole development studio in Austin. We've been basically a, a whole bunch of engineers, right? And we're about to do finish up our Series A. So. We'll be adding a few more engineers to that team. But yeah, it's just a group of young, hungry gamers. And we're just, you know, mostly engineers. I'm the only marketer on the team as of now. But obviously, to build a great soft game, which is a complex piece of software, you need great engineers. So that's where we're at today. But after our Series A, we'll we'll be adding a couple artists and uh, extra kind of items there. But yeah, it's a team in Austin. Really, really happy with. Who we've got involved, and you know, some of our early investors were early uh, members of Facebook, and we just are obviously like the founders of Acorns invested, and so it's just been uh, really cool to take kind of meld the past successes that I've had as an employee and be able to bring that and roll that into my own thing with my partner Bo. Yeah, and it seems like you've done it nearly seamlessly. I'm sure it's obviously not easy, but in terms of having those relationships and once you have some successes and you do a great job, like, yeah, you're going to have the ability to do different things moving forward. And with the company, obviously, you know, you're a gaming company, which means you have to 
create a game. So Atlas Empires, how did you decide on that as the first title? Yeah, so... Oh, well, the gamers really responded strongly to it. But here's the thing. I always tell people, Fortnite is not an accident. Acorns was not an accident. And we talked about this earlier on this podcast, which is, if you're trying to change user behavior, forget about it. It's going to cost you a lot of money. But the true successes have been the ones that really took existing things and mashed them up a little to make them viable, right? So if you look at Acorns, it was really kind of riffing on the Bank of America keep the change, but instead of putting money into a savings account that paid you 70 basis points, putting it into a investment account that paid you 700 basis points, right? So Fortnite basically took this concept of Minecraft meets Call of Duty, right? Being able to build your own world and shooting at people. And then they really took off when they put in the PUBG Battle Royale example into it, right? And so... We saw an opportunity with the Age of Empires and the Starcrafts and the Clash of Clans of the world. And we saw how big Pokemon Go and the location-based gaming aspect of it can be. And so what we said was, what if we took this, the two proven concepts of building an empire, a virtual empire, and location-based gaming and combining it into building an empire virtually on a real-world plot of land? And that's what Atlas Empires really is in a nutshell. That's awesome. And with that, so you have this one, but obviously there's things that didn't resonate. I just want to hear about some of those. What were some of the things that were not good concepts? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of concepts that, man, I can't even remember all of them that have failed, (laughs) to be honest with you. You know, I was really obsessed with like the match three concepts, which is like the Candy Crush or the Bejewels of the world, you know, really couldn't make anything work there. (laughs) Although I'm not giving up. There's really, I mean, I guess that's the benefit of being an entrepreneur is that you have amnesia about your failures. (laughs) And I think you have to, right? So yeah, I mean, look, I don't even put too much thought on the things that didn't work out. I just remember the things that did and it just keeps me excited and going. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) constantly testing things. That might be. No, no, it's totally fine. You're worried about the next thing. I'm sure there's a lot in your mind. And with... Cerberus Interactive, there was something I said, like 2,500 paying alpha members at least or something. How did you get those initial alpha members then? Facebook ads. So that was Facebook ads, all Facebook ads. Yeah, I mean, you just, look, we ran a great trailer, explained the game, people signed up, and then we asked after they signed up if they'd like to be part of the story, you know, get their name in the credits or get a t-shirt. It really depended on what tier they paid. You could have paid 5, 15, 30, or 60, and each of those gave you extra benefits. The 61 gave you a specialty, you know, limited edition t-shirt and all this stuff. So yeah, I mean, look, I'm even surprised, but there are people out there that just want to be part of the next thing. I think we forget it living in Los Angeles or San Francisco, how lucky we are to be part of something that could see global reach. But, you know, when you run Facebook ads across the rest of America, you know, there's people in Louisiana, my home state, there's people in Alabama, there's people all over the country that they just want, you know, to see their name in the credits of the potentially the next Pokemon Go. And that's really been uh, exciting for us. Yeah. And one of the que- last questions was Cerberus Interactive. I'm just curious as to what the vision is for the company moving forward. We are a location-based mobile gaming studio. So we're not set on war games or battle games or anything like that, right? And the reason... I think location-based is such a big deal is I think it ties back to the Elon Musk conversation of the autonomous cars. 
you're going to have so much more free time on the move ever before in human history with the fact that you don't have to drive, right? And I think Niantic and there's a couple other companies that are just getting into the location-based space. But if you really think about it, it's wide open. The fact that I can name the location-based gaming companies on one hand means that this space is open for... It's not a zero-sum game, but it's open for the top five. Like The fact that is we're probably in the top five, right? As young as we are. Just because there's no competition right now, being the top five incumbent in the location-based gaming space over the next 10 years, I think automatically makes us a billion-dollar studio. Yeah, that's exciting. And I'm sure with the work you're doing, I'm sure obviously you're going to make a lot of progress towards that in a very quick amount of time. And one of the things I'm wondering with the extensive experience you have in your career, what have been some of the valuable resources, whether it be you know podcasts or books or audiobooks or conferences or even people that have kind of helped you along your journey? Yeah. So number one is obviously podcasts and YouTube videos, right? I think it depends on where you're at. If sometimes you come across a challenge and it's like you're just looking for the solution, YouTube and Google, amazing, right? But other times you just don't know what you don't know. And that's why listening to podcasts, listening to how people think, I have to say that a lot of the stuff I do is experimental. So it's not so much about finding someone that's already done something that I'm about to try, but it always helps listening to these different podcasts and these different CEOs and, uh, you know, listening to Neil deGrasse talk about <laughs> the universe. <laughs> and you can, you'll be amazed how you can pull from just a way of thinking. Um, so yeah, I would say if you're looking for specific solutions, it's, going to those YouTube and Facebook and uh, Google, but podcasts help you open your mind. And the other thing I would say, don't discount people that are less experienced than you or you feel like are so much more experienced than you that they wouldn't want to talk to you because I've been constantly and consistently surprised. You know, last week, I felt like I was in a dream. I got to sit with the CEO of Reddit, <laughs> something I never thought would be possible in, in my life. You know, and and now I get to potentially pick his brain further as our relationship grows. So being able to learn from other people, because you're not going to be able to learn it all yourself, but being able to learn from other people's mistakes, uh, those ahead of you, those younger than you, I always hated throughout my career if anyone said, oh, you're only 25. Well, that doesn't mean much. So I think that mentality of people kind of sticking at age as a precursor to how much you might know is silly. And I think obviously that mentality is changing. But being able to learn from that and learn from those around you and be willing to ask questions. I mean, it shocks me how many times people will potentially ask me something three months later. And I'm like, you know, this would have helped you four months ago. <laughs> um, but it's like, yeah, I just, I felt stupid asking it. It's like, never feel stupid. <laughs> just ask the question. You know, it's like, there's nothing wrong. The only person that feels stupid is you. You know, they're not out there judging you. And if they are, screw that person and, you know, move on. But most often what happens is you've got really valuable people who are looking to mentor you. And what I've, I've met a lot of extremely successful, wealthy people. And what I've seen is that at some point after people have made their $100 million, it's not about money anymore. They just want to mentor. <laughs> they get more value from that than making their next million. And that's the biggest thing I've learned is take advantage of the fact that there's people out there who just want to teach 
and explain what they've learned in their life. Yeah. And I have to I have to go back and dig a little bit deeper in the podcast thing. I mean, what are some podcasts or even books or anything else you listen to? Yeah, I mean, man, great question. So I will say this, and I sound silly saying this, is that I hardly ever remember all the names of the different podcasts because I'm not the type of guy that has like go-to resources off the top of my head. I'm basically scouting all the time like on different articles and different places. And so I'll listen to a different episode here, a different episode there, if that makes sense. Like It's not really any one given resource. Lately in the last couple of years, basically starting two companies, it's been more about time than anything. So it's been about where can I find a resource that kind of comes up as I go versus like, unfortunately, this is something that I need to do better as a self-improvement for myself is setting aside more time to actually, you know, read more. I know it sounds silly, but I haven't outside of articles and uh, blogs to sit and read different books and things like that is something that I just don't do enough of. And it's a function of my time. And so that's something I need to personally work on more. But yeah, I mean, I would say it's right now, I'm more of a consumer of anything that hits me. I get sent stuff from my partners and my employees all the time. And that's kind of how I keep up with things. And hardly ever do I look at the names, unfortunately. And it's more like consume the content and move on and remember the lessons I need to remember from each of the things I hear. Yeah, I mean, that makes complete sense. There's a lot of times too, where I've just kind of searched for either a name of someone or yeah, back to your point of just someone sends me something or you hear something, you check it out, you don't quite remember what the name is. I have a few go to, but for the most part, yeah, everyone has their own thing with figuring that out. And for you with having multiple companies now, how are you managing your time day to day? Yeah, so it's nonstop. There's no such thing as nights and weekends. But I think that's par for the course. If you want to be successful, you have to abandon this mentality of nine to six. You just have to. And I think, look, we're here at 7.30 at night and you're doing your podcast. Like it's, <laughs> But there's no such thing as stopping and going. And so I will say that I generally work from 8 to 10.30. I try to leave some time open to hang out with the wife, right? But I think that's the other important thing is as you find partners in life, find people that are supportive and understanding of that. I've met a lot of, unfortunately, friends, I won't say names, that will may come across just the expectations weren't set, right? So you can't make this change mid-flight. It's just a way you have to live. And in terms of the other thing is obviously working, you know, let's call it eight to eight, 12 hour days and things like that. But the other thing is to work smart, not hard. And like one of my favorite tools is a website called Trello, right? Ooh, um, yes, love Trello. Right? And <laughs> exactly. I leave <laughs> that open on my tab all day long. Same. So something that I've gotten really good at in terms of time management is whenever someone says, hey, can you do this? Don't drop everything you're doing to do that. Open a tab, add it in Trello. And what I like to do is basically task list zero. You know, I it's like inbox zero. I never reach inbox zero, by the way. I think I have like a thousand unread emails. But, you know, when someone says, can we do this or can you do this? Can you look into this? I add it in a Trello. And I just make sure at 9.30 at night, I make sure to look at Trello and go, did I forget something that I was supposed to do? But basically, don't let things you need to do drive your day and drive your time. 
but rather you be in control of your time, know what you need to accomplish, and be dead centered on accomplishing those tasks. And sometimes I'll find myself, you know, I'm like, I'm a Facebook marketer, I might get lost in the newsfeed. Three minutes in, I'll open Trello and be like, what am I doing? I need to get back on track, right? And again, having that almost maniacal defense of your time is what I would say is the number one important thing. Like people always say, how do you get so much done when you're doing so many things? I don't feel like I'm behind on any one of my companies. And look, Elon Musk is running three things at once. So in many ways, I still have improvement to go because he's proven to me you can do more. But you can imagine that obviously there's sacrifices, but you can only sacrifice so much in a 24-hour day. Time is, you know, it's not infinite. And so given the finite nature of time, the only other factor is efficiency. Right. And obviously with the things you're doing, it's like, these are things you want to be doing. You know, you want to be growing this gaming company. You want to be doing the consulting thing. So it's, you know, it's, it's things that, yeah, you're, you're sacrificing other things. And that's what entrepreneurship is all about. Like it is about sacrifice in some way or another, but at the same time, you're getting a lot more out of it too. And you're doing what you want to be doing. And obviously there's tasks you don't want to be doing within a business, you know, but overall, like that's what you wanted. That's the path you chose and you wanted to do it. If you didn't, you could get a job. Obviously. Keep your eye on the prize. Exactly. And and here's what I'll say. I know a lot of entrepreneurs and other founders listen to this podcast. And my thing on this is life is too short to work on something you hate. So don't. I think a lot of people in this world, look, there are plenty of people in this world that need a job because they need to get by. And I completely understand that and respect that. However, in this country specifically, especially if you're working in tech, you're likely not a minimum wage, like trying to just pay, you know, your apartment bill. There are plenty of people that do that and I feel for them and I, I want to be part of the solution for that. But I've met plenty of people that are making six figures and they're just scared to lose their six figure job. And it's like, that is the worst, worst, worst place to be. You cannot be afraid to leave your cushy life, especially if you're complaining, you know? So what I'd say to that is, if you keep your eye on the prize, there are obviously and naturally times where you go through things that aren't not enjoyable, but you remind yourself the roadmap, right? The efficiency, like not every day, like, look, I had a three hour round trip commute going to Acorns. That was the least enjoyable job part of my job. And sometimes I said to myself, why am I driving to Newport Beach every day? But I knew besides being part of a great product and a great company, that continuing to make Acorn successful will help me become a successful entrepreneur in the next 36 months. And keeping that eye on the prize, I think, is what helps you get through the tough times. And by the way, once you're an entrepreneur, it gets 100 times worse. (laughs) Looking at the bank account and realizing there's you know, when you're an employee, the paycheck it comes and you're not looking at the company's bank account. You just assume the paycheck's always going to be there. When you're an entrepreneur, you're the source of the paycheck. And yeah, it never gets easier. And I think that's the big thing is if you stress out being an employee, do not try and be an entrepreneur. It's not going to work out. But if you're an employee and you go, man, you know, I'm bored. I'm knocking out and overachieving within three hours of my day. And you're like, give me more, give me more, give me more. And there's literally not more to give you at the current place of employment. You might think that entrepreneurship is a good opportunity for you. So, yeah. Yeah. And 
you know, Sami, I could ask you probably a thousand more questions <laughs> and geek out about way more in-depth marketing things that people will have no idea about. But obviously, want to be respectful of your time. So where can people go to learn more about you and all you're working on? Great question. I think the number one place right now is probably LinkedIn. I'm always on there. Anyone can shoot me a message and I'll try my best to respond. Obviously, anyone can follow uh, what's going on at Cerberus Interactive. That's like the three-headed dog that guards the river leading to Hades, right? And if anyone's out there looking for marketing help, Staircase Digital, right, is my marketing consulting firm that helps a lot of consumer-facing startups grow. And whether you might not be able to find me directly there, but my team there is very, very valuable now. So yeah, I mean. I and look, I'm happy to come back here and give a update a year from now. We'll yes. see where we go. Um, <laughs> if you'll have me too, yeah, we need to do a round two. I think there's a lot to go over, and then especially with the progress you're going to be making in the company, I'd be happy to have you on. So, thank you so much, Sami, for the time today, man. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And really excited about what you got going on and congrats on all your success. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Just Go Grind. As always, the show notes are over at justgogrind.com slash podcast. And you can support the show over at patreon.com slash justgogrind. And please, please leave a rating and review over on iTunes. It does help more people find the show. Hope you enjoy this episode. Have a great day.